Oh Lord, thank you for revealing yourself through your word. Give us hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello. <clears throat> we are back for day 11. We are going to see Abraham is, um, is going to finish his life. And we're going to move on, focused on his son, um, Isaac, and um, moving throughout the line. So we'll start with a little bit of um, insight. Just as Isaac is comforted after his mother's death by taking a wife, so Abraham is comforted after Sarah's passing by taking a wife named Keturah. However, all of Abraham's sons, other than Isaac, are eventually sent away, presumably to ensure preeminence to Isaac and his descendants. The record of Abraham's offspring by Keturah lists six sons, seven grandsons, and three great-grandsons, regarding whom any future reference is uncertain. The Genesis record closes its account of Abraham's life with a brief account of his death and burial. Significantly, Ishmael and Isaac bury not only their father, but also, at least temporarily, any hostility which may have come between them over the years. All evidence from this point forward, however, indicates that the descendants of these two half-brothers will have virtually nothing in common with each other. The single known exception will come when Isaac's son Esau will take wives from the daughters of Ishmael. For now, one of the most significant characters in the unfolding story of God's dealings with mankind is laid to rest. But Abraham will be remembered throughout history as one of the most outstanding men of faith ever to have lived. Ishmael will be 89 years old when his father Abraham dies, and he will live for another 48 years. He will have 12 sons and presumably many daughters. Because the Genesis record will soon concentrate exclusively on the life of Isaac and his descendants, a last account of Ishmael and his sons will be given at this point. All right, and into scripture, we're in Genesis 25. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Leumites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Efer, Hanoch, Abida, and Elda'ah. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. This is the account of Abraham's son Ishmael, 
whom Sarah's maidservant, Hagar the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, listed in the order of their birth. Abayoth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbiel, Mibsan, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the twelve tribal rulers, according to their settlements and camps. Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the border of Egypt, as you go toward Ashur. And they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. And now some insight. With the death of Abraham, the Genesis record begins to provide increasing detail regarding the lives of Abraham's descendants, and events are recorded at briefer intervals. Whereas major events of the first 2,500 years have been chronicled as only a brief outline, the remainder of the Genesis record provides an in-depth look at Isaac's children and grandchildren. For the most part, the events speak for themselves. The people whose lives are recorded exhibit both the best and worst of human nature, typifying the moral struggles which encompass the human predicament and pointing up the need for a God who can lift mankind above its own circumstances. The scene for the next 150 years is set when Rebecca gives birth to twins and is told prophetically that these two sons will be the fathers of nations which will in time struggle with each other for dominance. The account picks up immediately following the death of Isaac's father. And continuing in scripture. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Bayer Lahai Roi. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old, when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob and a short insight. An incident having extraordinary consequences is now recorded 
which will not only give insight into the character of each man, but also has important implications for the further descent of the people through whom God has chosen to reveal himself. The event involves the transfer of a birthright belonging to Esau, the firstborn of the twins. By that birthright, Esau would stand to receive a double part of Isaac's estate and take over leadership of the family upon Isaac's death. And to scripture. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And Insight says, careless and apparently disinterested in the benefits and responsibilities attending to the birthright, Esau unknowingly forfeits his opportunity to be the one in his generation through whom the blessings promised to his grandfather Abraham would pass. Esau's descendants will never be God's special people. In fact, pursuant to the prophecy given to Rebekah, in future years, Esau's descendants will indeed be subservient to the Hebrews, who will be the direct descendants of Jacob. With reference to the redness associated with Esau's birth, Esau's descendants will bear the name Edomites and be a continuing source of friction for the Hebrew nation. As his two sons engage in fraternal conflict, Isaac himself experiences moral conflict in a series of situations which are amazingly parallel to situations experienced by his father Abraham. First, Isaac encounters a famine and is forced to migrate to Gerar, where he lies about Rebekah exactly as Abraham lied about Sarah. He is then blessed with great wealth, as was Abraham, and finally has similar disputes over the same wells previously dug by his father. It's interesting to note the influence of a parent and, in a more general sense, the cycles of human behavior which one can observe throughout history. And into scripture. We're at Genesis 26 now. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. 
When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, This water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sidna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked him, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they were left, and they left in peace. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we've found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. And that's day 11. That's a lot. That was a long one today. Um, so as I was reading all those names, and before there have been many, many names, I've always kind of wondered 
why do we need to know everybody's name? Um, we don't hear from very many of them ever again. Most of them we never hear from again. We don't know what they are about. So why do we need to know? They must be in there for a reason. And to me, this is just a personal thing. To me, it kind of sort of helps to prove the fact that these scriptures are truth. Somebody didn't just make up these stories and make up a whole bunch of names. These are, someone took the time under God's direction to write the names down. To me, that sort of helps to prove the truth of these scriptures and these stories that we're reading about. Now, in, um, in the birth of Jacob and Esau, Esau is born first, so he, by rights, should have the birthright. But then when Jacob comes out, he's grasping his heel, and his name means um, deceiver. So um, why didn't God just let Jacob come out first? And then he was going to get the birthright anyway. That was God's plan all along. So why didn't he let Jacob come out first and just happen that way? Um, I don't know for sure. Just a couple of my own personal thoughts. Um, it could be that all the conflict and the whole selling of the birthright for a bowl of stew um, is a reminder to us maybe not to make rash decisions, to think about your choices before you just blurt out um, because he's gonna greatly regret that decision. Um, it could be that God is teaching us that messy situations, our lives are filled with messy situations. Maybe they're necessary to keep us humble and trusting God and remembering that um, even God's chosen, Jacob was his chosen one to continue the bloodline, um, we're, they are still human. We are still human and fallible, always failing, and then reaping the consequences and then learning to trust God through it. So that's just, those are just kind of my personal thoughts on it. And then Isaac lying about Rebecca being his sister instead of his wife. <laughs> Abraham did it twice and now Isaac's doing it. What is up with that? And I, I wonder, did Isaac he know about those times? Did Abraham tell him about those times when he lied about his wife being his sister? And Isaac heard that and thought, oh, that's a pretty good plan. <laughs> I don't know. But um, we see like father, like son, pretty much. But he did that after the Lord had personally spoken to him and said, do not fear. I'm taking you here. I'm telling you to stay. I'm protecting you. I'm giving you these lands. But Isaac just couldn't completely trust that. He had to kind of rely on himself. He had that fear. And so he lied. That's what we do. We are humans. But I do love that God, he just repeatedly appears to his people, repeatedly gives this message of do not fear. I'm with you. I'll protect you. 
I know what I'm doing, essentially. And the very at the very end, I, I kind of laugh. I think it's humorous how Abimelech, after he saw that um, Isaac was very um, wealthy, he had been blessed by the Lord. So Abimelech comes and says, um, "Let's make a pact that um, you you won't go against us because we know the Lord is with you, and if we fight." Um, we're not going to win. We will lose to you because the Lord is on your side. So just play it safe and make a peace agreement. So that's actually pretty smart of him because he knows how powerful God is to his, with his people. Oh, so those are kind of my little points to ponder about this. And um, we will... Then on the next lesson, we're going to be learning about some trouble coming between Jacob and Esau. See you then.